God, we love you, and um, I'm grateful to you for these, my brothers and sisters, who have come here today to worship you, Father, and to um, hear your word taught. And I pray that as your word goes forth, that we would all be blessed. I thank you, God, for the word that you've given me to share. And I thank you, Lord, that you are here. You are in our midst. God, you are speaking and moving by your word. So I pray that you be glorified. I pray that you would be honored. It's, it's all about you, Father. It's all for you and to you. And we, we thank you, God. We worship you in this place. And I pray that even our uh, time of Bible study would be an extension of worship and that we would enjoy you, Father, as we seek to know you in a greater way and to uh, have our lives conformed into that which is pleasing to you, Father, that which is honoring to you, that which is fruitful for your kingdom, God. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Today we're going to be dealing with the topic of faith. This whole chapter is surrounding that, that subject. And I kind of wish now that I would have just done a standalone topical message today on faith because it's such an important topic and the Bible has so much to say about it. And it's such a misunderstood topic in the, in the world that we live in today. It's, it's perverted, it's twisted, it's distorted. In the secular world, in, in the, uh, the Christianity uh, world, it's, it's um, all over the place. And there's so much that could be said that I just don't have time to say today. So who knows, I may actually do that next week. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I did want to start, I wanted to kind of frame this message by talking a little bit about faith. What it is, what it isn't. Uh, it's important for us to have this understanding. Um, as I have mentioned over and over again, Paul starts the book of Romans essentially by helping us understand our condition outside of Christ, that we are a fallen race, that we are separated from God because He's so perfectly holy and pure that, um, that we can't be in His presence. We cannot commune with with the Father, because we are fallen, we have fallen short of His glory and His standard. And so Paul really drives that point home. Then he gets to the good news. You can't fully appreciate the good news without the bad news. So now we've kind of entered into the good news portion of the, of the book. And so if, if I were to outline the book itself, I would say it starts with a greeting and then the, the universal guilt where Paul helps us all understand our, our uh, plight outside of Christ, and then he gets into justification. That is, where, how we can be saved. And then he talks about sanctification, and that's how we can grow in that salvation, how we can grow in Christ-likeness. And then he begins to talk about the, the restoration of Israel, chapters 9, 10, and 11, and there's a lot more involved than just that. But then chapters 12 and on, it's application. In light of chapters 1 through 11, how then shall we live? And so now we are into the portion of the book where we're dealing with how can we be saved. And in light of our condition, being fallen and separated from God, how then can we be saved? And so Paul in the uh, chapter 4 here is going to talk all about faith. Faith is how we are saved. 
And he's going to give Abraham as the, the classic example of faith. So before we get into that, I just wanted to kind of frame this message. One, what is faith? And two, who is Abraham? And what does that have to do with this? And so as we get into the chapter, all of that will make a little more sense. So just hang with me. So I want to say that, as I've already said, biblical faith is critically important. And notice I said biblical faith. Biblical faith. Because the world does believe in faith, too. And I mean, honestly, we all exercise faith in a practical way all the time. Just the very fact that you're sitting in those chairs proves that you have faith. You believe that that chair is going to hold you up and that you're not going to fall into the floor, right? And so there, there are different kinds of faith, but I'm talking about faith in God, and this is an eternal salvation issue. It is necessary. Outside of having faith in the finished work of the cross and in God as our Father and Savior, we are eternally lost, eternally damned according to the Scriptures. And so this is a very serious and urgent and critical matter, the, the subject of biblical faith. And the word faith, it simply means belief. And it's used interchangeably so much throughout the Scriptures, but it is belief, it's complete trust, it's confidence in something or someone. And so that's a simplified version, but that's, that's faith. And biblical faith is having faith in God, putting our faith in Him. You know, it's important to understand that it's not faith in faith. And you get a lot of that in the world. You know, you just have to believe in faith, essentially. Or have faith in yourself. And that's a really scary thought. Or to have faith in X, Y, and Z. But ultimately, it's not about having faith in faith or, or anything else. It's about having faith in God. He is to be the object of our faith. You understand? It's the object of your faith, not faith itself. Because there are a lot of well-meaning people out there who do have faith, but what is their faith in? What is their trust in? What is their confidence in? As sincere as they may be, they could have their faith in the wrong thing, and that has eternal repercussion. It has eternal consequence. We're talking about life or death eternally, and it hinges on faith and who is your faith in. And Paul is making it very clear that faith really is that which activates salvation. Faith in Christ. Now, faith is important to God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So without faith, we cannot please God. The Bible teaches that we are outside of Christ, that we are in the flesh, that we cannot please God. It's impossible. We have to have faith in Him. We are born again. We are changed from the inside out. And now we become followers of God, lovers of God, worshipers of God. And you can't be that without faith. It says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. And Jesus even said, speaking of His return in Luke 18.8, He said, when the Son of Man returns, will He even find faith on the earth? Things are going to be so bad. The condition of the human race will be so bad when Jesus returns. He asked the question, will there even be faith on the earth? Faith is a gift from God. It's not something that we can just muster up. It's not something that we can just conjure up. It's not something that we can work ourselves into a frenzy of faith. It's something that we need God to give us. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. So it's like he's saying, you know, we, we may be tempted to think we're somebody or I'm something special, but don't, you need to think a little more soberly because even the faith that you have, God gave that to you. God gave that to you. In Ephesians 2.8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we understand that this is something that, that God gives us. And the Bible uses it in a, in a few different ways. There is the faith, when we refer to the faith, in Jude uh, chapter 1, there is only one chapter, verse 3, he says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So that is uh, the core doctrines that we hold to, the fundamentals of the faith, that which we believe, that which makes us distinct, that which makes us Christians. That is the faith. We are, if you have put your trust in Christ, you are of the faith. Then there's having faith, Mark 11:22. So Jesus answered and said to them, "Have faith in God. It's something that you have. It's putting your trust in Him, believing on the Lord Jesus, believing in God, having confidence in His goodness, having confidence in His ability, having faith. And there's practicing faith. Second Corinthians 5:7 says, "For we walk by faith and not by sight. It's something that you have to put into action. It's something that you have to walk out. And when the Bible uses that that word walk, that's essentially what it means to live. We live by faith. It's not just a one-time deal. I put my trust in Christ and now I don't ever have to live by faith. No, life is perpetual faith steps. And that's what I try to tell people. Some of you in this room might be agonizing right now over an issue of faith. And you're, you're just thinking, what do I do? And it, it all it seems so monumental. And I will often tell people, look, after this passes, there's just going to be another faith step right in front of you. This whole life is faith step after faith step after faith step. So get used to it. That's what God wants. That's how it's designed. So don't overthink it. Just walk in faith. Step out in faith. Trust the Lord and go for it. Right? And so that's essentially what we're going to be talking about. And the the key character of this chapter is who? Abraham. Faithful Abraham. And so I wanted to take a moment and talk about who he is. I don't want to assume that everyone in here knows that. Well, he's a, he's a central character in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. He's a very important character to the Jews especially. And he is set forth as an example of faith. He was called by God. He was a pagan. He was a pagan idolater. He didn't know God. He didn't believe in God. His name was Abram. God revealed Himself to him. He called him and He said, I want you to leave your family and go to a place where I'm going to show you. And it was through Abram, later he became Abraham, that the whole Jewish race would come forth. The, the, whole, all, the Hebrews, they would come from Father Abraham. And so there are three major things in particular that happened in the life of Abraham in Genesis that makes him stand out as this champion of faith. And all of these are outlined in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to look at Hebrews chapter 11 on your own, I would encourage you to do that. It it is the great hall of faith. That chapter is often referred to as. And there are three things that Abram did, Abraham. And the first was when God came and revealed Himself to him, He said, I want you to leave your family, leave your home and go. And that's all well and good, but He didn't tell him where to go. 
He just said, go. And God often does that with us. He'll, he'll give us just enough light to see a step or two in front of us, but not much beyond that. So we kind of know we're supposed to go, and we don't really know what's going to happen next. And that's how it was when my wife and I moved here. It was a huge faith step because we knew that God was calling us to move here, and it seemed like the more that we were sure of that, the more doors here were kind of closing. And we were just so sure that we were supposed to come and serve in the church here, and my wife was from here. Now, I was on staff as a pastor in Tennessee, and um, I knew that I, I may get to serve in the youth ministry out here. Maybe not. I wasn't going to be paid or anything like that. There was just a lot of question marks. I didn't have a job. I didn't really know what we were going to do to make it. Um, and people back in Tennessee were saying, man, you're crazy. What are you thinking? You've got so many good things going on for you here. You're leaving that, and you don't know what you're getting into there. And I felt the weight of that, you know. And so we... Um, sold the car that we were sure wouldn't make it here and then the car that we kept broke down in New Mexico and you know we we got here and uh just little by little God started opening doors it was amazing looking back now I can't even believe what has happened in such a short amount of time and uh you know it was a, a step of faith and that's why I was saying but the the faith steps have continued since we have been here and we're still making faith steps even with this bridge ministry huge step of faith there and so that's why I say that's the life of the Christian. It is perpetual faith stepping. And uh, it's an excitement. It's exciting. It's a journey. Well, the next thing, God told him that he was going to have a son. He was going to have a son, that he would be the father of many nations. Well, he was 100 years old when God gave him this promise. But he believed God. He believed that God was able. And we'll talk more about that. And then when his son was born, a lot happened between in that time period, but when his son was born and grown, God came to him and said, I want you to take and sacrifice your son, your one and only son. And Abraham was willing to do it. And he was just about at the point where he was going to. And that sounds crazy to us. And it is extreme. But really there's something much bigger and more beautiful happening in that scenario there. It's a picture of God the Father sacrificing his one and only son for us. In fact, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac is the place where Christ was crucified. So it's it's really, really interesting, that whole story. And it's a picture of something uh, beautiful. But he was willing to do that. I mean, could you imagine such a thing? And then God stopped him. It was a test. It was a test of faith. It was a test that he, he passed. And that's just it. You know, God is gracious to give us opportunities because we fail sometimes, don't we? We don't step in faith, out in faith when we wish we would have. Well, let me encourage you. God will give you another chance. And He will give you chance after chance after chance, sometimes until you get it right. And so, praise God for that. Well, that was what made Abraham a champion of faith. And we're told, Genesis 15:6 that he believed the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The fact that he believed God, Abraham was accounted as a righteous man. He was considered righteous. And we're even told Abraham was called a friend of God. Isaiah 41.8 references him as such. And James chapter 4. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because Abraham was by no means perfect. And we may get into that a little bit. But he was called a friend of God. He was counted righteous because of his trust and his faith. And he is an example for us all to learn from and to follow. Amen? You tracking with me? All right. You ready? Let's get into it. 
I want you to, to drop back just a few verses. We didn't finish chapter 3 last week. And so we're going, to, uh, we're going to finish that up right now and then move into chapter 4. So Paul has been making it painfully clear that we're all guilty, that nobody is good, no, not one. You can't keep the rules enough to save yourself. The Jews are not saved because of their heritage, because they're children of Abraham. No one can keep the law that God has given them. He's made that very clear. And he has brought into view that it's by faith that we are saved. And so he says this in verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So Paul is making the case that you really cannot boast. You cannot brag. You can't have any kind of arrogance or confidence in your own abilities because by the law you are condemned and it's only by faith that you're saved and even that faith was a gift of God. And so you cannot boast. Where is boasting? It's excluded. You can't boast in the law because you're only condemned by the law and you can't boast in faith because faith was a gift. And so you can only boast in God, and that is by design. And I praise God for that. To He alone should be the glory, to Him alone. And so the point he's making is this is very consistent. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, and the word Gentile is just a very generic way of saying a non-Jew. So everyone, this is consistent. God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles, and the, uh, the Jews are saved by faith, the Gentiles are saved by faith. And so then he, he puts forth the question, then should we just do away with the law? Is the law void? Is it, is it unnecessary? And he says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And so the law is, it still has a place. The law is a, a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a wicked or an evil thing. There is much that we can understand about Christianity as we look into the Old Testament. We see the law and we see... God's heart, we see mercy, we see justice, compassion, provision, holiness. We see all of that. But ultimately, for the Christian, we're not saved by law. We're not saved by our ability to keep the law. The, the law shows us that we are what? We're lawbreakers. That we can't keep the law. And so that we are in need of a Savior. And God, in His infinite grace and mercy, is that Savior. He's a saving God. And He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. And so the law is a schoolmaster. It's a school teacher. It teaches us that we need forgiveness. We need grace. We need God to save us to do that which we cannot do. And so case in point, Abraham. He's going to now in chapter 4 start talking about how with Father Abraham it's always been faith always been faith it was never a matter of being saved by the law and this is great news for us guys i think maybe some of us in this room don't understand why this is such good news i think for people who maybe came out of seventh day adventism i think i said that right 
You know, there's a lot of rules and, and, and regulations and it, it can be um, suffocating sometimes, you know. Um, they, they'd still put a very strong emphasis on keeping the rules, keeping laws. Mormonism, very much the same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholicism, um, you know, Islam. These are all religions where rules and regulations, that's it. And it's all about... Your good outweighing your bad, and that is exhausting. And even within Christianity, there are some some movements where I'm from in Tennessee, free will Baptist churches. They believe that you can be saved, but if you sin, you've lost your salvation. I've heard a guy tell me if you cuss, then you are no longer saved, and you've got to ask forgiveness quickly in case something happens to you before you get your salvation back. How exhausting is that? And that is keeping yourself saved. That is a works-based righteousness. I'm saved by grace and now I'm kept by my ability to be perfect or to ask forgiveness enough time so that when the day comes and I pass from this life to the next, I just happen to be good in that moment. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches at all. We are saved by faith. It's, it's grace. And so he's going to set Abraham forth as that example for us. So verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what has Abraham gained through works of righteousness or through... uh, being the father of of the Jewish nation, nothing. His salvation was simply in his faith in God and the promises of God. If it had have been in his ability to keep rules and to keep the law, he could boast. And that's what he's saying here. But he cannot boast. And it's because he believed God that he was accounted as righteous. So Paul's just making it very clear right here at the beginning of the chapter. Here it is. Abraham is the example to us as one who was saved by his trust and his belief in God. Point blank. Now there's a few words that is very important for me to to clarify at this point because they're going to be used a lot through the remainder of this chapter and even through the whole book of Romans. We've already heard some of these words, but we're going to to hear them a lot, especially in this chapter. The the biggest one is faith. I've already talked a little bit about that, so I won't belabor the point. Justification is another one. It's a a very critical word for us to understand. It's a beautiful word. And that is to say that we are justified in Christ, that we are declared innocent. We are declared righteous. It just is what it is. God looks at us and says, righteous, holy, innocent. Not because of anything that we've done, but because Christ has earned that on our behalf and that has been given to us. So it is any record of wrong has been canceled. It's not just forgiven. It's so much more than that because all of us in this room have been wronged. We have been hurt. And I would say most of us have forgiven and and many of us have forgiven many, many times. And oftentimes forgiveness can be a daily thing. Right? It's not like that with us and God. It's gone. God didn't just forgive us. The record of debt has been erased. It has been washed away. And when God sees us, He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. And that is the power of the cross. That is the power of the cross. We can beat ourselves up sometime 
because we're very painfully aware of our own failures and our own sins and our own shortcomings, right? But such is the power of the cross, such a magnificent sacrifice that when God sees us, He sees no sin, past, present, or future. It's washed. It's erased. And we are justified. And sometimes people will use that word in this way, just as if I had never sinned. It's gone. Accounted, that's another one. And, and sometimes accounted, imputed, or reckoned. Those words are used interchangeably. And that is to say that um, it's, been, it's been given. It's a, an accounting term, obviously, hence the word accounted. Um, and so the righteousness that I have, it's been given to me. It's been accounted to me. It's been reckoned to my account. And so um, we'll see that over and over. We're justified. We're accounted uh, righteous. His righteousness has been imputed to us. And then there's the word redemption. Redeemed. We'll, we'll hear that a lot. And that is to say we've been bought. We've been bought. And it speaks of, of slavery, especially in Rome. In Rome, uh, slavery, there were millions and millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And um, a slave could be bought out of the market and they, they become a part of that particular home, that family. A slave can be bought with the provision that one day he could earn his, his freedom or be, or be uh, paid for totally and set free. Or a slave could be bought with the intentions of being set free permanently, never to be enslaved again, being totally set free. He's been redeemed. And that's, that's what that word means when we hear it. And such is the case for us. We were slaves of sin. We were slaves to, to uh, a master, Satan. And we've been bought. We've been redeemed. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are children of the Most High God. You, you tracking with me? Does that make sense? And so justification, accounted, redemption. And let me just make one more mention of this. I mentioned this a few weeks back. Um, you'll hear the word circumcision an awful lot in the New Testament. And that was an Old Testament ritual. It was a rite that was given to Abraham. And we're going to talk about that more. And as I have said before, I'll say it again. If you don't know what it is, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, but it's um, something that was given to the, the Old Testament Jews. It was something that every male child was to do on the eighth day. It was part of the law, and it was symbolic. It was a sign. It was a seal. It was to say that you were marked, that you belonged to God. You were his, a part of His chosen people. And it's also spiritual in the sense that it means like cutting away of the flesh. So for us Christians, we all know we're at war with this flesh, right? The, uh, the sin nature that we, we battle against. And it's, so it's kind of like a cutting away of the flesh and recognizing that you are marked, you are God's. And so that's, that's essentially what circumcision um, meant. And in New Testament Christianity, one of the first big battles was, is it necessary for Christians to be circumcised or for essentially an unbeliever to become a Jew first before they became a Christian? That's what it boiled down to. And Acts chapter 15, they, they dealt with that, the Jerusalem Council, and made it very clear, no, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved that was an Old Testament ritual. It doesn't apply to New Testament Christianity. Okay, so I just need to kind of clear all that up before we move on. So, verse 4 of chapter 4. We're going to talk about the juxtaposition of faith and works. The two are diametrically opposed. Now to him who works, 
the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so if you insist on working your way to heaven, you're disqualified from grace. If you insist on keeping the rules, if you insist on being good enough to get there, you are going to be in debt. You will not come out ahead. And you are disqualified. You are severed from grace. Is the point that he's, he's simply making. It's to the one who simply believes in the finished work of, cross, of the cross on their behalf, they will be counted righteous. And that's, that's serious, guys. I want you to hear this. You cannot save yourself. You cannot keep the rules good enough to be good with God. And if you think you can, you're wrong. And you are actually in debt. But to the person who puts that aside and says, I put my trust in Christ, you will be saved. And that was what the Apostle Paul did. In Philippians, he talks about all of these uh, accomplishments. His resume was impressive. He said, but those things I counted as loss. You know, those things which I thought were gain, I counted as loss for the, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he at one point in time really trusted in his own righteousness, his own accomplishments. And he come to realize that actually had him in the red. That actually had him in debt. And so he got rid of all of that and he put his trust in Christ. He put his faith in Christ. Now, works is a byproduct of faith. I don't want to act like works are a bad thing. If you're a Christian, you ought to be doing good works. You should be serving the Lord. You should be making an impact for the kingdom of God. That, but that flows out of faith. If you are in Christ, if you are born again, if you're new, then your desire is to do good things. That's how works and, and faith go together. But you don't work your way into God's good graces. You understand? And so he's just making that very clear. Now he's going to use David. David as an example. So verse 6 in, uh, in chapter 4. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So Paul here is referencing Psalm 32.2. And I recently talked about uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. Remember? He was the king. It was all good. And then all of a sudden things got really bad really quick. He had this adulterous relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. She was married. Her husband was a soldier. And then uh, she became pregnant. David tried to cover his tracks, but he couldn't. So in this conspiracy, he had her husband killed on the battlefield. And then he married her and really gave this, this idea that he was such a benevolent king to take take this uh, widowed, uh, this woman in on this fallen soldier's behalf and father her child. And so um, it went on like that for about a year. And then the prophet Nathan came in and exposed David in a very dramatic way. And David was crushed under, under that. And he repented. He cried out to God for forgiveness. And there were consequences, serious consequences that happened as a result of that, but ultimately he was forgiven, he was restored. 
And he says, Blessed is the man to whom God does not count his sin against him. Blessed is the man who receives grace. Blessed is the man who uh, receives forgiveness. We see Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Those are both psalms that David wrote as a result of that that sinful uh, period of, of his life. And so God gave David grace. And thank God for that because I need grace. Don't you need grace? We all need grace. And so I rejoice that David received that grace and blessed is the one to whom God does not count sin because we would all be in big, big trouble, all of us. Blessed is the person who receives God's kindness. So, verse 9, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Alright, so this blessedness that David talks about. Is this for those who keep the law or believe by faith? The blessed man, is it because of he, his ability to keep the law or is it because of faith? It's faith. Because Abraham was justified before circumcision. That's the point that Paul's making here. Eleven years before God gave this right of circumcision to Abraham, he was justified. So obviously, it was his faith in God that saved him apart from works of the law. In fact, the law of Moses that we have, the first five books, that came, if I, if I did my math correctly, 700 years later after Abraham. And so... He was saved before the law. He was saved before circumcision. He was saved because of his faith in God and in God's promise. And that makes him the father of of the faith. And so, verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those not only to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Alright, so what he's saying here is that Abraham is the father of, of all of those who walk by faith. He is an example to the, to the Jews, to the circumcised, but he's also an example to those who are not because faith was the, the issue. And he was, is the father of us all in that regard because he was justified while still uncircumcised. And I, I want to just draw your attention back to verse 11 here. This is very significant. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. So he's making it very clear here that that is just a sign. It's a picture of something. It represents something deeper. And that is he's a justified man and that his trust is in God and then he's marked as such. It's a sign of something that already existed. Let me read that again. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. 
And so that is the case so often throughout the Bible. Many of the things that we enjoy as Christians, many of the, the uh, sacraments, communion, baptism, all of these different things, they represent something deeper, something spiritual. And in the Old Testament, that's what circumcision was. In the New Testament, baptism, it is a picture of something very sacred, very beautiful, and that is we have been lowered into the grave and that we have risen into the newness of life. But that is an inward reality that has already happened when we put our faith in Christ. When we put our trust in Him, we are born again. We have died with Christ and risen into the newness of life. Amen? And so it's a very sacred and holy picture. Communion, same thing. When we eat the, the bread and the, uh, drink the cup, you know, Roman Catholicism would have you believe that that is Christ's literal body. It has been transformed into flesh and blood. That, that's not what that is. The Bible is very clear. It's something sacred. It's something spiritual. It's holy. And it is us embracing, taking in what Christ has done on our behalf. We identify with His death. And we worship Him in it. And some people believe in, in foot washing. That's not something that you will ever have to worry about us doing here. Um, nothing would freak me out worse than that, honestly. And, and I honestly feel like modern day foot washing would be like, how about wash my car for me? And uh, we'll call it even, right? Um, but you know, some, some churches, they, they do that and, and more power to them. But it's always because it represents something deeper, something spiritual, and that's an awesome thing. And such was the case was circumcision, and it was because of an inward reality. You can do all those things and be dead inwardly. It means absolutely nothing. And so the heart has to be right. You have to be one who comes to God by faith, who loves Him, believes in Him, and those things are an extension of that. They represent that because God looks at what? The heart. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And that such was the case uh, with Abraham. Alright, so verse 13 for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Abraham's receiving of God's promise was not based on the law. Okay, it was based upon faith. If the promise to us was based on our ability to keep some law, to keep some standard, we'd all be in big, big trouble. And so that's the point that he's making here, is that the promises that were given to Abraham that have come to us by extension, it's always been through faith. Otherwise, it would fail because we would fail. We fail daily. And so thank God that it's grace, it's faith, and that is how God's promise has come down through all the ages to us in this room today. It's not by keeping the law, because he says here that the law brings wrath. The law brings knowledge of sin. The law brings accountability. And so it's through faith. And it was designed this way so that it could be according to grace, so that it could be a gift of God. And he says that in verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So this is by design. 
so that God could give grace. And what is grace? It is undeserved favor. We didn't deserve it. It's just something that God gave us because it's who He is. That's how He is. He's a loving and giving, benevolent Father. And so this whole thing's been designed so that through, by faith, God gives grace. And not just to Abraham, not just to those who are of the circumcision, but to the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, through all ages. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So that was God's promise. It was... I will make you the father of many nations. Now, Abraham was 100 years old, and, and the name Abram meant exalted father. And I'm sure that there was some stigma that he felt because it was a big deal to, to have a family, and he's 100 years old, he had no family, and his name meant exalted father. There, I'm, I'm sure that there was some mockery or derision, perhaps, that he experienced. And then God changes his name to Abraham. You know what that means? Father of a multitude. And so it's like, thanks, Lord. And the promise that he gave him when he was 100, it didn't happen for another 25 years. So 25 years later, 125 with a new name, father of many, of, of, um, many father of a multitude, he still believed God. And he believed in God who was able, and I want you to catch this, who gives life to the dead. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's our God. Our God is able. And that's why we can put uh, faith in Him. That's why we can have confidence. Because that's what God does. God makes a way when there doesn't seem like there's a way. God is even able to call to life those things which are dead. And He did that through His Son when He raised Him from the dead, but He has done that for every one of us in this room when He takes that corpse, when He takes that person who is dead in trespass and sin and brings them to life. And so God is able, amen? amen? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so Abraham put his trust, his faith in a God who was able to give life to the dead and to call those things which do not exist as though they did. I love that. God can make streams flow through the desert. And so, so often, I think this is where maybe I, maybe the only one in here, but this is where, you know, I, I find that I may fall short in faith. I believe God's in control. I believe that God is able. I believe that God is sovereign. God is powerful. Until something goes wrong, and then I've got to jump in there and figure out how to fix it, right? Okay, this, oh man, I didn't see that coming. So now I start scheming and manipulating and trying to help God out. And what is that? That's saying one thing and then doing another, right? Thank you. And, that's, and Abraham even had those moments. You can read that for yourself. He went through that same thing. But believing that God is able when there does not appear to be any way possible. And even as I say that, there are things in my life right now where I said, thank you, Lord, I needed to, to remember that. I needed to be reminded of that. Because there are some mountains in front of me right now. Are there some mountains in front of you? God can move those mountains. God can make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. You may be looking at someone that you love that is hurting, that is lost, and it seems like all hope is lost, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. God can move that mountain. God can make a way when it doesn't seem like there's a way. 
praise God that He can do that. He's the only one that can do that. And so we put our trust in Him. And that was, such was the case for Abraham. God made these promises and he knew that God was able and God would make a way. Verse 18, who contrary to hope and hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to that to what was spoken, so shall your descendants to be. Uh, so shall your descendants be. So contrary to hope, what seemed hopeless, what seemed impossible, in hope he believed. He believed God with a confident expectation. And that's what hope is. Hope isn't like wishing. Biblical hope is confidence. It's expectation. We hope in God and we are confident in Him. And this was according to God's Word. Genesis 15.5 is what it's, it's quoting here. So shall your descendants be. He hoped in God and He hoped in God's Word. Amen? And we have God's Word. We have God's promise. We have God's faithfulness. And we can hope in that. We can trust in that. And Abraham did, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. I love this. Not being weak in faith. Not being weak in faith. He didn't consider his own body. He did not consider his own inability. Now, we do that a lot, don't we? We say, God, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. We look, the first thing we look at is our ability. Do we not? But Abraham didn't do that. He didn't consider his own inability, his own weakness. And he did not waver through unbelief. Wavering. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Turn to the left. Turn to the right. Go back from where I came. Everything but moving forward in faith. He didn't do that. He moved forward. Now, he had some, some slip-ups along the way, to be sure. But at the end of the day, he went the distance. He stayed the course. And he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And that's what it's all about, guys. Because it's all God. I cannot glory. With, with me, it is impossible. With me, there is no way. With me, there is no strength. With me, there is no hope. But all glory to God. With Him, all things are possible. Our hope, our trust, our confident expectation, it is in Him. And to Him be the glory. Amen? And that's what it's all about. It's for His glory. And being fully convinced that God is able, therefore it was accounted to Him as righteousness. Verse 23. Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So all of this, it wasn't just about Abraham. And sometimes we, we can think it's all about us, right? God was doing something awesome for Abraham that was going to be for the blessed, blessedness of the whole world. Imagine that. And the example here is for us. And so it's for those who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised for our justification. That's the Gospel. That is the Gospel putting our trust in Him who raised Jesus from the dead, the One who was delivered up because of our offenses, 
We stood condemned. We were dead in our trespass and sin. We were separated from a holy God. But Jesus came and lived a life that we could not live. He lived a perfect life. And He died the death that He did not deserve. The death that we deserved. And He rose again, conquering death, conquering the grave. Victorious over all of that on our behalf. And He was raised for our what? For our justification. So that we could be uh, forgiven. So that we could be justified. And it's all faith. Faith in Him. Faith in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in God. Faith in His promises. So, how are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? What is your faith in today? What is your hope in today? What is your trust in today? What is your confidence in today? I hope it is in the Father. I hope it is in His promises. I hope that it is in the Gospel. I hope that it is in His Son who lived and died and rose again from the grave for you and for me. I hope that your faith is in that. And if it is not, it can be. Today, you can put your trust in Him for salvation and you can know this loving Heavenly Father and you can walk with Him and you can begin that life of faith steps. That is just step number one. That is just step number one. And for those of you who have been walking with the Lord for some time, maybe you needed to be reminded today it's for Him, it's to His glory, and it's trusting in Him, trusting in His abilities, trusting in His strength, trusting in His provision, and there's no other way. What is the object of your faith? What is the object of your faith? I hope it's not you. I hope it's not in anything that this world has to offer. I hope that you haven't given up altogether. I hope that that if you have been hopeless and faithless altogether, that you would put your hope and your faith in the Lord, in Jesus. And we'll close with that. Let me just pray and we'll, uh, we'll end the service with that. Father, we love You. We praise You. Thank You that You have given us faith and that we have been born again and that You continue, Lord, to show Yourself as faithful. And You give us opportunities all the time, God, to step out in faith for Your glory so that You can show Yourself mighty, so that You can show Yourself strong. Increase our faith, God. Strengthen our faith. I pray, God, that You would give us the ability to step out and to trust You in bigger and bolder ways, God. And that You would continue to show Yourself mighty and awesome. You are a God who saves. You are a God who provides. You are a God who brings breakthrough, God. And we worship You because of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, bless you guys. You're dismissed.